Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast a series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Luke Martin, I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TLCT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in the beautiful state of Tasmania. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, remember there are now more than 100 episodes of Talking Tourism Conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts or you can simply stream them on the TRCT website at trct.com.au. We are recording this podcast today on the lands of the Palawa and the Pakana, and TRCT offers its respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people, their elders past and present, for their enduring care and management of these islands. Today's episode is brought to you by our partner, Steadfast Taswide. Steadfast Taswide is part of the largest insurance broker network in Australasia, with close to 50 staff located across offices in Hobart, Launceston, Devonport and Burnie. They offer a full suite of business insurance advice, and all tourism-accredited businesses who engage Steadfast Taswide insurance brokers receive a 25% discount on their annual tourism accreditation fees. No catch. It's just a small incentive to encourage you to support a Tasmanian business and for them to put back into our industry. Thank you to Steadfast Taswide for their generous support of TLCT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. Now, let's get into today's conversation, and I am joined by Stacey Joseph, Employment Facilitator for Southern Tasmania at the Tasmanian Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And Stacey's been around the tourism and hospitality sectors for about two decades in a series of roles, and for the last eight years has been with the TCCI and with experience in human resources and workforce development. G'day, Stacey. Hi, Luke. Now, explain to me what that really means. What do you do <laughs> on a daily basis? Uh, Well, like most small Tasmanian businesses, I wear many hats and uh, one of them is the Employment Facilitator for Hobart and Southern Tas, which is a Australian government funded program designed to help get more local people into local jobs. And the other hat I wear is the Acting Chief Operating Officer hat at the moment. So our current CEO is on parental leave which is a really good opportunity for me to stretch outside of the people and training-related things I normally do to enter into the fun world of finance, boards, budgeting and all of those sorts of things. And membership associations are always a wonderful process of managing expectations with limited resources. Absolutely. Anyway. Now, the reason I've got you, though, because I've always seen you as the employment guru for Tasmanian tourism and hospitality sectors. Is that a pretty fair ob- uh, expectation observation? But really... <laughs> We know we are having a really challenging environment at the moment to gather staff mm-hmm. um, and we're not alone, um, are we? We're no. that. So give me a context about what the employment market's like in Tassie. Honestly, it's just something that I never expected to see in terms of everyone is screaming out for staff and looking for staff at all levels. So whether it's an entry-level position that doesn't require a lot of skills or training or whether it's a more highly skilled and experienced role, we're seeing businesses across all sectors competing for labour, which has created some really interesting challenges from an employment perspective. So once upon a time, you'd offer somebody a job and you'd be fairly confident that they would accept that job, whereas now we're starting to see that um, many people People are actually interviewing, making their final selections only for that person to turn around and say, no, sorry, I've actually got a better offer over here, which is uh, quite an interesting change from three years ago where we'd be talking to employers about how do you advertise a job so that you minimise the number of applicants. Now we're talking to them about how you might reconsider what sort of person you're looking for in order to broaden the scope of potential applicants for roles. So in a pure market-driven supply and demand scenario, we are absolutely way over on the demand driven side of the ledger at the moment. Um, Definitely. The, the, the 
employees, the potential employees, are effectively writing the books at the moment in terms of what their expectations are on the employer. Excellent labour market if you're an employee looking for work. And as I said, it doesn't matter whether you've got lots of skills and experience or whether you're looking for your first job. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there at the moment. Clearly, the other issue we've got is that the transferable skills are in customer service or in hospitality. Uh, through, and after two years of the worst disruption and visitor economy could ever imagine, mm-hmm. we've suddenly got this whole cohort of people who are seeing that their skills are just as valued in the aged care sector or retail or the other sectors that are just crying out for the people that traditionally we'd be top of the list for. Definitely. And it was really interesting talking to hospitality and tourism operators uh, over COVID and after, I guess, the main lockdowns and as they were looking to staff back up again, that through natural attrition, they lost a lot of their workforce to care industries, which makes sense because people that work in tourism and hospitality generally like to be of service to others and disability, aged care and those sorts of uh, service-based roles offer, you know, in many cases, more job security, clearer pathways in terms of education and um, training. So it's going to be a really big challenge, I think, to lure some of those people back into uh, tourism and hospitality. Okay, so it's tough. It's not. This is not a short-term fix thing, though, is it? No. Either it's, this is going to be the way it is for quite some time to come. COVID really damaged our transient labour market, so we were very reliant across agriculture, tourism, hospitality, and other sectors on international students, as well as um, you know visiting holiday makers or backpackers, as we as we know them. And I think that we're really starting to see what a significant contribution they made to our labour market now that we've had a huge reduction in those. And it will be interesting to see how long it takes for some of those numbers to recover. But even then, I think even if we doubled, you know, skilled migration and working holiday uh, maker visas, it's not going to solve the problem overnight. But also we've got a generation of uh, millennials and, yeah. and Gen Ys who are going to be introduced to the employment market under these conditions where um, I will work on my set terms or I'll go down the road to the guy down the street who will offer what I want and values-based employment. Mm. That, 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 that group's cohort of people are not going to suddenly change their approach to work anytime soon. So this is a generational thing that we're dealing with as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're going to see a big shift in how we lead and manage people and what we consider to be um, traditional work practices. So we've seen lots of studies around people valuing flexible work arrangements and work-life balance and money's really not the be-all and end-all. I think that, you know, they were talking, um, I was at a forum the other day and they said uh, 20% wage increase is what it would take to move somebody from their current employer to another employer. And I think most employers would agree they haven't necessarily got 20% sitting in the bank ready to go to, to lure somebody. So we really need to think outside the box about how we attract and retain the people in our workforce. So let's talk about the macro and the micro. So macro for the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. What are the what do you see as the big levers, the positive levers? So knowing that, it's not about money. It's We've got a s- structured industry that's quite mm. seasonal, that's up and down, that you sign up for and knowing that you're going to have a very, very busy few months and a very quiet months, it's less obviously less stable than, than mm. other sectors. What what are the big upsides of our industry? So we're trying to market to that cohort of yeah. people or, or a business is trying to sell. What are the buttons do you think that we need to be pressing at the moment around the appeal of tourism and hospitality? I think uh, flexibility, absolutely. So, you know, it's not nine to five. You're not stuck in an office all day in many cases. And also that it's a fun industry to work in. You know, you're actually um, creating experiences for people. And I think that that's a really important thing to remember because it can be, it can suffer from a poor reputation or poor image. But when you're actually in the industry and you're, you know, showing something or um, letting somebody taste something for the first time, it's about the opportunity to create experiences for people that they're going to take away, you know, share on their social media and 
remember for life. So I think it is about tapping into the values and, and the types of um, jobs that you can have in tourism that you can't get in other in other sectors and really using that as an opportunity, not necessarily a challenge. What about this thinking around the values-based component around our industry? Um, people want to work for businesses that are perhaps making a positive contribution to the local environment, which we know a lot of you know, nature tourism businesses do, for example, or share the environment with people who are coming, or, you know, carbon neutral businesses. Do you see that, particularly that younger cohort, being a bit of a button we can start pressing heavily? or Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's about thinking about things from their perspective. So we often get so caught up in what we do and what our business does that you sort of take those things as a given and that people might already understand it. But I do think uh, putting those things out and being very explicit about the fact that your business is, you know, carbon neutral, environmentally friendly, you know, all of those unique selling points from a marketing perspective. So instead of just marketing to, to potential customers or tourists, we should be marketing to potential employees as well, the benefits of, of working in, in particular businesses or the sector more broadly. I had an anecdote from an employer who won a tourism award last year and they said they're advertising the same jobs before and after mm. and suddenly just the the interest that suddenly came up and a lot of the references was I saw that you won a tourism award or yeah. you're obviously a good business, you know, just adding that brand recognition, which was very much they went for the tourism award to win, to get customers, but yeah. the, the side benefit was it suddenly demonstrated that they were a obviously a quality professional business um, mm. within their local community for and workforce. So it's all those buttons. Now explain to me what, as for an individual business, apart from winning tourism awards, mm. what on earth is being an employer of choice? Uh, it's a good question. The program's been around for quite some time now and it's, look, it's a state government uh, initiative and it's it, it's got a number of benefits to it. So employer of choice is an awards program effectively. So the way it works is that businesses would provide a submission explaining around three primary criteria and that's about contemporary workforce practices, excellent support for employees and supporting work-life balance. The beauty of the awards is that it's free other than the time it takes you to prepare a submission. But once your submission's been reviewed and if it's deemed to be at a level where you could potentially be an employer of choice, they'll actually come in and interview your staff, supervisors, business owner, manager, depending on the size of your business. And regardless of whether or not you're accredited in that particular round, you get some really useful feedback on the things that your business can be doing. And you also get to be part of a fantastic network of other employers of choice. So the program's been in a bit of a hiatus, like most things during COVID, but it's just being um, relaunched now. And they have some great events where you can go along and get some ideas around contemporary workforce practices or it might be around what other businesses are doing that's a bit outside the box. But just the process of going through it and reflecting on how well do you actually consult with your staff and and what sorts of um, flexibility and other non-financial benefits can we offer our employees that kind of makes it a great place to work. And most of us have had good employers and many of us have had not so good employers. And you think about, you know, what you can actually do as a business operator or manager that makes your place somewhere that that people want to come to and that they want to stay at. So it's a state government-sponsored program. State government, and yes. it's coming back, yes, yep. you mentioned through hiatus. It's obviously not just geared for big big operators no. employers either. It's so it can, it can apply for, a, you know... Definitely. 85% of our industry employs less than 10 staff. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that they assess the program is based on the size of the business. So obviously a business like Federal Group that has hundreds of employees uh, would have very different workplace practices to a small business that might only have a couple of staff or, um, you know, seasonal 
operations. So that's the beauty of the program is it's definitely not a one size fits all. And there's no formal checklist to say you must have, you know, annual performance reviews or you must have, you know, an employee assistance program to, and that would rule you out. So I think that that's, um, what else makes it a really valuable program? And whether, as so, and whether you are, a, it's an employer of choice qualification or a Tasmanian Tourism Award or THA mm. Award or whatever, it, it is just that point of verification that you are a quality business and that you care. Yes. And you're listening and you've actually taken the steps to intervene. That's in a, in a competitive job market. It's just one of those tools you've got at your expense. And they say on that one, it's investment time, not money. When you're successful, you get a logo that you can use on your, you know, email footers, any kind of marketing that you use. So you might put it in your job ads and, you know, if somebody's scrolling through similar jobs and they see employer of choice, whilst they might not understand the program intimately, um, you know, employer of choice kind of speaks for itself. And perhaps that sort of puts that, that position above the others in the eyes of the candidate. One of the other interesting things I think is interesting out of COVID and we're talking, you know, we're recording this at the tourism conference, so it's mm. all about the future of the industry in the next seven or eight years. This conversion of casualisation mm. challenge that the particular hospitality sectors talked about for a long time about how do we get more Tasmanians out of that seasonal casual labour and more mm. job security. Yet you also hear this flexibility desire. Do you see the pathway that's going to emerge out of this? Because it's <laughs> kind of like we've got these two competing sort of we, on one level, we kind of always thought that casualisation is a disadvantage for our competitiveness as an employer, but then you kind of hear that the market's actually wanting this and people are wanting two or three different sectors to work in or wanting family-friendly hours. And it's like, is there a middle course to be run here that we offer, I don't know, a, a more stable form of permanent part-time or something that becomes maybe stabilised out over the years? What, what's your take on that? Well, uh, the whole casual things become quite uh, fraught with danger in itself with the emergence of permanent casuals, which is an oxymoron in itself. But look, I, I, I'm an example of that. So when I first started working in hospitality, I was offered a full-time job, but I loved being casual. I was young. I didn't get sick. I wasn't concerned about having sick leave and I didn't need to get a loan for anything. So, you know, that worked for me. Whereas for other people, they might be looking at getting a home loan or, you know, starting a family and they're looking for that level of security. And I think that that's really at the heart of what employers of choice are is that I don't say that I have a one size fits all model. And there's also clever ways of working around the awards. So one of the biggest barriers to tourism and hospitality operators with permanent part-time options is that you have to have the fixed hours per week. And if they don't work them, you've got to pay them anyway. And if they work over them, you're up for overtime. But there's a thing in the award that actually talks about individual flexibility agreements where you can actually build that flexibility in, but it's on a person by person, shift by shift basis. So there are ways that we can kind of use the award as well as consultation with our people to identify what's going to work best for, you know, for Mary over here and what's going to work best for Jim over here. And those two things are probably not going to be the same. So sit down. And again, that's to the broad principle. It's about not having a, this is the way we do things at business X because we've done it this way for 20 years. Yeah. It's about having the willingness or the initiative to actually mm. sit down and discuss with your employees individually and as a group to say, well, what's the best structure for us? And yeah. I imagine if you get the levers right, they'll they'll become part of your marketing resource book. So I'll talk about suddenly the positive changes at Business X that I work for and yeah. other people who want to join them. Yeah, absolutely. And like any marketing, the best form of marketing is word of mouth, whether it's for employees or customers. So what else would you say? Like, again, a, a small micro business in regional Tasmania at the moment is looking for room attendance in a really tight market or front of house staff at a, at a small motel in St. Helens or mm. what What other things? If you can't, we can't pay over the odds, mm. um, you've got limited opportunity for values, we know it's a really tight space. What, what would you be telling them at the moment around how to make it stand out? 
Look, uh, my background is in training and so I've always believed that we should have better processes in businesses to be able to take people that aren't necessarily what we're looking for and be able to grow them into, into what we need. So if the people that you want aren't around, perhaps we need to start looking in different places and, and considering what we could negotiate on. So, you know, uh, are there community organisations that we could engage with and come and talk to some of their stakeholders around the opportunity you know, and selling that, you know, I think that the the room attendant, you know, looking for a cleaner, those sorts of things, they have some real benefits, particularly for women returning to the workforce. And some of those women might be sitting on the cusp of considering coming back to the workforce. And yes, I know I'm using a stereotype here, um, but they're looking to come back to the workforce. And if you just happen to show up at the right place at the right time, you know, you may find your next employee because they're sort of sitting there going, I really should go back to work and I could do with a bit more money. I, I want to work between nine and three because I've got, you know, older yeah. kid at school and uh, yeah. again, yeah. I, maybe suddenly, well, maybe the, and also the money proposition, it's actually the reasonable wages if you do a casual age. That's not a big, a big enough step in yeah, absolutely. to justify it. Yeah, so I think that, you know, that just broadening the places that you look because a lot of people aren't looking on SEEK for a job and they might not be looking on the on the tourism and hospitality jobs portal. So I really think sort of it's almost the Harvey Norman spray and pray approach with, you know, just, just trying something that you haven't tried before and hoping that you might get a different result. Also, it's no secret, so we're doing this at the conference, um, we've got Hamlet on stage mm. in a big way tomorrow just because of the success we're starting to see out of that, partnering with a couple of the large hotels. So these, they are literally going out and tapping into people who have not previously been in the participation rate uh, calculated, so not even engaged in the workforce, mm. giving us some intervention, some support training, and now starting to see the connections through to the major employers in our sector. It's it's a bit of a bit of a way forward for us because you can imagine those little models replicated across the state in different ways. Definitely. And with different cohorts. So, you know, the disability cohort is one. Potentially it's um, culturally and linguistically diverse. So new entrance to Tasmania, it might be long-term unemployed. It might be, you know, mothers returning to the workforce. It could be people that have recently been released from prison. We've been working on a really interesting project there. And I think it's about challenging your own thought process where you go, well, that person, that type of person could never work for me. And then actually asking yourself, why couldn't they work for you? You know, what are the barriers? And in many cases, those barriers can quite easily be overcome. It's kind of just opening up the, the potential. It's your perception. Correct, it's it, yeah. Coming over your own prejudice to see that perhaps having an opportunity for something that you previously haven't thought about might yeah. actually work for you. absolutely. What about retirees who are semi-retirees? Definitely. And, and people who have exited the industry. I think regional Tasmania, we've got this whole cohort of sea changers and tree changers retiring in the East Coast, for example, and never worked in tourism hospitality, never in thought to work in the service industry, but they've got a wealth of knowledge and passion about Tasmania. And yeah. So how do we engage them? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. That's a, another cohort that we probably wouldn't have considered before. And they're probably not actively looking for work. So, you know, working on our networks within our communities to try and identify some of those potential um, employees that might only want to work five or 10 hours a week. And, you know, we might need four of those now instead of one full-time person just so that we can get the job done. Excellent. Anything, Kelly? Pearls of wisdom as my as my <laughs> tourism hospitality HR employee guru who just con- confirmed the reputation just there. Oh, you're too kindly. You're too <laughs> There's kind. a few nuggets of wisdom in there. But the, the key point we want to make out is that this is not a short-term thing. This is not a no. post-COVID hangover. We're going to be dealing with a workforce supply issue that's going to mm. go on for the next two, three, four years. And we know the industry is busy. So yeah. it's not a case of, let's say, 
short-term fixes that have mm. traditionally worked or just sticking the ads up and yeah. blaming someone else for the reason they're not coming through your door. You've yeah. got to change your approach. Yeah, I think so. And I think tourism and hospitality are always going to have a percentage of their workforce that are going to be transient. To think that somebody's going to come and work in any sector these days and stay for 20 years is really naive. And I know that used to be the reason we didn't give people jobs was that they're overqualified and they'll leave as soon as they get something better. But isn't it better to have them there while you can? And, you know, I've been banging on about this for 10 years to actually have good induction processes so that we're ready for that churn, you know, have a process that you understand that by the end of the first shift, this is what the person should know. By the end of the first week, this is what they should know. And once you invest your time in developing those systems, then it actually gives you more scope for recruiting and turning over staff because you've got a system and a process, whereas many of us have been into businesses and you can tell that there's a new employee because they don't know what's on the menu or they, you know, the service isn't what you expect it to be. And all that needed was just a little bit more robust at the front end and you start to polish off some of those That's almost a more practical thing. You can do at a small operator level as well because in a small, say, a coffee shop or a dining venue in a regional site, you can actually apply that as an owner-operator pretty quickly and just have that structure in place. These senior staff take on. It's just that 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 intervention point to actually set it up. That's right. So in the meantime, you're trying to... Yeah, working on your business, not in it, the age-old adage. (laughs) All right, Stacey Joseph, thank you very much. Now, this is the really important part of the podcast because you you get feedback, you'll get feedback about this in the text messages (laughs) as soon as it goes live, the seven big questions. Okay. Um, You ready? I am. Favourite spot in Tasmania and why? So I had really a big think about this and I've decided to go with Mount Rumney. I actually live on Mount Rumney, so I thought I would go outside the box. Um, I live 10 minutes from town in the middle of the bush Mm. and I have some stunning views and I always feel a sense of peace when I come home. So, And when anyone from interstate comes and they discover that's where you live and you're 10 minutes from a capital city, (laughs) it's a bit of a, this is why you live in Tasmania moment, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Favourite travel destination anywhere in the world? Oh, look, I was really tempted to go with Tasmania because I do enjoy trekking around Tasmania, but I thought in the spirit of it, um, we've travelled to a few overseas destinations, but I can't beat Fiji. Um, and primarily because I loved Fiji time. It's, um, you know, definitely a complete switch off and, um, you know, you can't beat diving off the side of a boat in the middle of the ocean and going snorkelling and those sorts of things and the people are pretty spectacular. Yeah, so. the culture's supposed to be amazing for Jane, so it's yeah, lovely and yeah, totally the, hospitable. Aren't oh, they? the friendliest yeah. people you've ever met and it was sort of one of my aspirations about 10 years ago. Imagine if we could um, have that kind of culture in our tourism and hospitality sector in Tasmania where everywhere people went they felt incredibly welcome and, and comfortable. All right, PG, go. Uh, someone coming to Tasmania for the very first time in their lives asks you what's the one thing they must absolutely experience while they're here? What is it? Oh, this was a really tough one. Um, I put sunrise and sunset and um, we camped at Waterhouse Point once and the night sky there was just phenomenal. You could just like, lay on your back and just look at the stars all night and it felt very Tasmanian. Yeah, good answer. You're walking the Overland Track. Have you done the Overland Track? <laughs> no, I have not. No, but <laughs> well, when you do do the Overland Track, you can take three people, living or dead, famous or not famous, who are they and why? Five <laughs> days on the Overland Track. Um, I I had to think about this and I thought like my husband and two kids, but they'd whinge way too much, so they're not coming. Um, With so, apologies to the family. Yeah, that's uh, right, the apologies other. to the family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so I decided I'd take Hamish Blake for the comedic factor because, you know, when your legs are burning, you really need somebody to crack some jokes to get you through. Um, Lee Sales for the conversation. Oh, yes. 
And um, I listened to a podcast called Just the Gist with a lady called Rosie Wardland and she tells the best stories. So just the gist. Just the gist. Just the gist. Just the gist. So right. they give you just the gist of an interesting story so that you can tell it at a dinner party and um, sound really clever. Ah. Yeah. So they're the three people. That'd I be would a take. very, very thought provoking funny because I reckon Hamish is pretty bright as well. Yeah, it's that, being very absolutely. funny as well. <laughs> All right. You're road tripping around Tasmania at the moment, um, up the Midlands this morning. What, were you, what are you listening to in the car? Well, we were actually listening to Just the Gist, but um, my children recently begged me to get Spotify Premium and now it's backfired on them because I've found the Power Ballads playlist. Power Ballads, 80s, 90s, yeah, Power Ballads. Yeah, there's no better way to embarrass your teenage wow. children than like belting out sure or something oh, with their they, kids in the car. they'd appreciate it, wouldn't they? <laughs> Not when they, their friends are in the car. <laughs> yeah. They like the alternate music too much as kids. Yeah, that's right. All right. Now, <laughs> when you arrive at your destination on holiday, not for work, mm-hmm. what's your tip of choice? Um, I couldn't go past the Milton Riesling. Yes, Milton Riesling. I had a Milton Pinot the other day, didn't I? Yeah, yeah Milton, great wine. Yeah, All right. very nice. Now the last one. This is the big <laughs> one. It is the most divisive debate in Tasmania. Let's not talk about cableways or football teams <laughs> or anything else. This is the big question. Curry Tasmanian scallops, culinary delight or culinary crime? I would have to say crime. Crime. Yeah, I'm not you. a fan of uh, curry powder in most things and uh, I think the only way to eat a fresh fresh Tassie scallop is battered, which I'm sure will cop some backlash as well. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, look, I'm with you. But, uh, it, look, it makes a, great, makes a great tourism ad when you see the, uh, the pie in the <laughs> Absolutely. Ad, All right, Stacey, Joseph, thank you for your insights. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, the TCCI, uh, they can stumble on the website. Absolutely. And a lot of listeners would be members of the TCCI so they can uh, ring you up and... We'll ask you for all this follow-up advice. Absolutely. Uh, the Employer Choice Program, that's the state government's website. When it, and so it's going to be reinvigorated in the next few months, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think they're just getting ready to launch it. So stay tuned. But I'm sure um, between TCCI, TICT and the other industry groups, there'll be plenty of information coming out through the usual channels. I think we'll time this one to be released when the uh, this podcast will be released about the time we know more details. So we'll put it all in the uh, show notes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, thank you to Stacey Joseph. Uh, remember to subscribe to hear more episodes as we release them every two weeks or so to jump on our website or follow and subscribe to Talking Tourism on your podcast service. Also, remember to tell a friend or a tourism colleague to check out our podcasts. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania and today's episode was brought to you with the support of our partner, Steadfast Taswide Insurance Brokers. A big thanks to Caleb Miller at Mac40 Media, our audio specialist who produces all these episodes. I'm your host, Luke Martin, and we'll catch up next time.